We are in a series called Made for More, and this is part two. And there's a couple of things I want you to remember in part one. As a church last week, just so you guys know, we agreed that uh, we are made for more. We actually thought about it for a few minutes, and I'll ask you to think about the same thing. Do you believe you're living to your fullest potential that Christ created you for? That God created you? Do you believe you're your fullest potential? If not, then there's more. There's more that you can live to and more that you can do. And last week, by show of hands, uh, we just all, everybody in the room said, you know, I'm, I'm, I need more. I'm made for more. I can do better than this. And uh, we all agreed to that. And uh, so I'm going to take us through some scriptures over the next three weeks that help us see how we can live in the more. The point of our month of January at Northside is to give us a vision, sort of a laser-pointed vision for the call of our church for this year, and uh, it's going to be that we're made for more and how to be more devoted in that, and that'll get stronger each week as we go. But I want you to remember that we, to, to talk about being made for more, we also had to recognize that the reason we were made for more is because there's somebody that's fully devoted to us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. I've been over that to you guys several times. While we were yet sinners, not because you were good, not because you were perfect, but when you were in your mess, uh, when you were at your worst, he died for you. He came into your sin and manifested himself to you. He proved his love for you while you were sinning. And the word uh, God, Romans 5 says, while God commended his love for us. One translation says, no one says God demonstrates. And the Greek word means he comes and stands beside you. It's two words it means to stand alongside. And uh, while you were sinning, he stood in your midst. Now, there's this whole theology that people teach that God can't, uh, will not tolerate or look upon sin. And I understand the principle of his holiness, and I really don't get, um, I, I know that I can't be in his presence if there's sin in my life. But I know that Jesus can be in my presence when there's sin in my life and fix it for me. I know that's true. Because the Bible says he manifests himself to us. He, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, I'm not, I'm not even preaching my sermon yet. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, here's what they did. Uh, Jesus came to them. Jesus came to Adam and Eve in their sin and looked upon them and said, hey, where are you? He sought them out. So I don't know about all the theology of that and Maybe seminary will help sort some of that out, Michael, and you and Jay and others are going to seminary. Y'all just come sort that back out with me. I just know that in sin, Jesus will come visit me and call me out every time, every time. And, and we learned this little statement at the mission on Friday morning. I'm test y'all. And uh, it says, the grace of God is greater than any, you might remember, any weakness of my flesh. Remember that? We studied, we studied Peter uh, Friday morning, and we said the grace of God greater than any weakness of my flesh. Because Peter was a mess. We looked at the mess that the Apostle Peter, St. Peter is, and all the failures and all the mess that he is. And by the time you get to the book of Acts, his shadow can heal people. And so I want us to be made for more, and I want us to live in that more. When we trust the Lord as our Savior, and we become his child, he gives us, a, The first Peter says, he gives us a living hope. A living hope. I heard that in the testimony that Michael shared. He now has a living hope. There was a time when he was hopeless. He didn't care if his arm got cut off. He didn't care what happened to him. He didn't care if he walked the streets just carrying garbage around all the time. But then Christ came in his life and he has a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says he gives us a living hope through the resurrection of Christ 
into his inheritance that can never perish, never spoil or never fade. It's kept in heaven for you. It's part of his family. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and this is the verse I want to get really clear in your head today. If you don't like anything else I say, if you don't hear anything else I say, if I bore you to tears, please register the words of the Almighty God today. In 2 Peter, it says this, seeing that his divine power, how many believe he has enormous power? God has enormous power, like unbelievable, can't even, how many believe he has a divine power? Okay, huge power. Seeing that his divine power has granted, he's given, he's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. When you got saved, when you got saved, Billy, many, 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 many years ago, when you got saved, Helen, Miss Webb, Brother Al, when y'all got saved, he gave you everything you need for life and godliness when you got saved. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to figure it all out. It's all been given to you. Now, you have to understand it, and you have to mature in it. We're going to talk about that today, how to do that. It's a lot simpler than we like to say, and I'm going to beg my guys that are in seminary, please don't get caught up in the big word rhetoric that seminary, seminarians like to talk. Just remember, Jesus kept it down at fishermen's level. Real, hey, I'm a dumb guy, help me here. That's, that's how Jesus did ministry. We're going to do that today a little bit. So, but seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, I would really love for you to look at the guy next to you, the lady next to you, and say, I have everything I need for life and godliness. Come on, say it. I have everything I need. I have everything I need for life and godliness. I don't need a better car. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a different bank account. I don't need a job. I don't need any of that. He gave me everything I need for life and godliness. And he is the great provider. So all those little things that we stress out about, he's going to provide all that to make sure that the life and godliness flows into whatever we're doing there. Does that make sense? So I have everything I need for life and godliness. That's really the deal. So how do I live in this more? How do I access this life and godliness? Well, there's a picture in the New Testament. There's a word picture in the New Testament that I want you to get a handle on today. And that word picture starts really easy to see in John chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read it to you. John chapter 1, verse 35. John the Baptist, not the writer of John, by the way, the writer of John is John the Beloved, young, young disciple. Um, John the Baptist is this older guy, Jesus' half, Jesus' cousin, and uh, he's, uh, he's going around preaching fire and brimstone and telling people to repent, and he's kind of freaked out a whole culture of Jewish people. He's got them all out of the river, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. And it, it's, he's, he's a forerunner of the Messiah. He's setting the, the channel for Christ to get in and flow through his ministry. Actually, just the day before this, we're going to read, he's baptized Jesus, trying to tell Jesus, I'm not worthy to even unlatch your shoes. Why would I baptize you? Because John's one of the coolest guys in the New Testament. Because he says, you know, God must, Christ must increase and I must decrease. If you want your life to mean something, you got to let him increase and you decrease. That's the whole way to do that. And John gets a handle on that. And so every time John uh, experiences something about Jesus, you see him just making it bigger. So this after the baptism, John chapter 1, verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God, because John must decrease and Christ must increase. So as soon as he sees Jesus walking by, 
points to his guys that are following him to learn the things of God from him. And he goes, hey, guys, 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 there he goes. That's the Lamb of God. That's him, that's him, that's him, that's him right there. That's the guy we were supposed to follow. Not me, that's him. It's not about John, it's about Jesus. So I love John the Baptist. Look, the Lamb of God. When the disciples heard him say this, they followed. If you mark things in your Bible, I would mark that word. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him. And, they, and he said, I love this moment where he just turns around and goes, what do you want? What are you guys doing? What do you want? And they said, uh, Rabbi, uh, where are you staying? So they asked this really stupid question, like, where, where are you going? Where are you staying? And then Jesus takes that chance. And these two goobers, that's my name for them, goober one, goober two, disciples, it's us. He takes this chance and he says, come and see. That's the invitation right there. Come and see. It means follow me. Come on, follow me. And uh, come and see, come and you will see. So, so they were... Uh, they went and they saw where he was staying. They spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed, circle that word, followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to go find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Sounds like the t-shirts we made at camp a few years ago. Uh, ask me about Andrew. If you ask somebody about, see somebody wearing one of our camp t-shirts that says, ask me about Andrew, they're supposed to say, Andrew is one of the first people to tell somebody else about Jesus. And anybody else told you about Jesus. It's a great, great witnessing t-shirt. Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus, brought his brother Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will now be called Cephas, the guy we studied yesterday, uh, which is translated Peter. The next day, uh, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, circle these words, follow me. Philip, Andrew, and Peter uh, we're from the town of Beth, uh, Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, come, uh, the son of Joseph. Uh, and, of course, then you get this great line, Nazareth, can anything uh, good come from Nazareth? Yes, as a matter of fact, Jesus Christ did. Uh, Nathanael asked, and, and so Philip uses Jesus' words. He goes, come and see. Come and see. And it all means, it all boils down to this. Jesus is moving through their lives, and he just looks at all of them, and then they start looking at each other going, follow him. Jesus says, follow me. Follow. It's an important word. We misunderstand it a lot. It's follow. In order to get a blessing that Jesus gives us, we have to walk with him. That's the word picture that's in this. Everywhere Jesus went, and he collected up people who were serious about their faith, they had to literally walk with him. Literally walk with him. We use that term uh, metaphorically now, you know, and, and I, for years, have had a lot of guys I've discipled over the years in my churches that I've served in, and one of my little phrases with them regularly is to go, how's your walk? How's your walk? And I'm not asking how's the gait of their physical walk. I don't care how many times they walk during the week or any of that. I want to know about their spiritual walk with Jesus. Are you walking with Jesus. Because in order to get the blessings that Jesus gives, we have to walk with him. And in order to get the blessings that Jesus gives, we have to talk with him. We have to interact. We have to walk and talk with Jesus. It's a it's a relationship that's really, really simple when you get down to it. I remember uh, several months ago, it's been almost a year ago now, I think, uh, maybe a little longer now, I talked to this thing called Jesus Simple. Uh, because we tend to make all these 
words about discipleship and evangelism and you know, and, and reaching the world with the you know power of the gospel and all that stuff. When actually Jesus wants you to build friends that you walk through life with and tell them your story. Like Michael told you his story, you just walk through his life now. You guys can get close to that and it'll change you. I'm willing to bet he's changed the number of guys that he's walked with by doing what Jesus does. He says, hey, come follow me. Just walk with me. And we'll talk and we'll interact about spiritual things and something in us will change. Jesus walked with his disciples everywhere they went. Luke chapter 15, he walked into a town square where uh, there was this mumbling going on because he walked up next to people that were considered sort of riffraff. They're sort of the lowest of the low. The Bible calls them publicans and sinners. And they have no spirituality in them. They have no interest in things of God. And Jesus walks right up in the middle of that group and just starts talking. And on the opposite corner or probably across the street, there's a whole bunch of religious guys in their religious robes and looking down on Jesus. And Jesus took his disciples and walked right up into the middle of the riffraff. Not the religious group, the riffraff. But he heard the riffraff mumbling about it. Say, look, he spends time with publicans and sinners. So Jesus calls the whole crowd together, walk and talk. And he goes, let me tell you some stories. And he tells those three stories we've talked about many times in Luke 15. Three stories, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And his whole point was, some things are worth walking for. If the sheep gets lost, Jesus saying the shepherd will go out and walk till he finds it way out in the woods, way off on a cliff somewhere, way out in the dangerous place. He will walk to him, he will get him, and he will bring him back to the fold. Some things are worth walking for. The widow lost her coin. It was probably a third or more of her, in, of her retirement money. It's very valuable. She'll walk all over the house till she finds that coin. And then she'll call everybody together to celebrate because it was worth the walk. And there's this prodigal son who walked away from his father and from all the goodness. And, and his father has to run to him when he comes back up that driveway repentant for all the mess he's made, living in a pigsty and destroying the name of the father all over the land. And the father runs to him and embraces him. And then the father finally has to tell the second brother, and that story we guys can read it later. This is my paraphrase. Some things are worth walking for. Your brothers needed a party. It's worth the walk. See, Jesus walks all over to help riffraff and to help people. The religious leaders are shocked and surprised about that, but Jesus is saying, this is how it's supposed to be. You guys should be doing this. You guys who know God should be loving lost people. It should change you. And the whole point of Jesus, by the way, having disciples is that he is going to take them and walk through these towns and love people well. That's what he's going to do. Remember the Jesus Simple series, walk, he talked, he shared, and he loved. That's how you change people's lives. You walk, you talk, you share, and you love. That's how you do it. Say, well, that sounds simple. Well, I'm just telling you, Jesus didn't make it complicated. Isn't it? You're not supposed to need a degree to do this. And everybody you read in the New Testament did exactly what Michael did. Once he heard and understood the grace of God, he starts talking about it. The, the, the crazy man at the Gadarean uh, tombs, 
that was released from his multiple demons, thousands of demons that inhabited him. He didn't even have an identity. When Jesus released him, the very first thing Jesus wanted him to do was go tell somebody else. The immoral, bigoted woman in, in John chapter 4, um, the, woman at the, Samar the Samaritan woman at the well, she doesn't have a Bible college degree, but you know what she did when she got when it got clear in her head who Jesus was, what he did for her, he's the Messiah. She went and told everybody and brought them back so they could hear. You don't have to have a degree in anything to walk, talk, and share. You just got to know what you're sharing and know what just happened to you. That's, that's the deal. So come and see is a very big part of that and learning how to walk with him. And Jesus makes that real clear. He, Jesus loved to tell stories when they were walking along together. Uh, he tells stories to help each other figure out God and figure out themselves. He listened to other people's stories and then he would inject the truth. When he was asked about the greatest commandment, he told the story of a, a, a robber who was traveling along and was robbed and, and somebody rescued him called the Good Samaritan. And that Good Samaritan sacrificed and loved this, this nobody in the ditch. He loved him deeply. And Jesus says, that's the greatest commandment right there. Living love out for somebody that's down and broken and hurting. That's the greatest commandment. That's what it looks like. When Jesus sensed the insensitivity of religious-minded people and, and the irreligious people of the day, he told the stories like the lost sheep and the lost coin. When he felt like the people were struggling to understand God, he told stories about farmers scattering seed, and he told stories about Widows knocking on the judge's door till the judge would give them an answer and help them. About men working in fields and finding hidden treasure because they were willing to dig and work in that field and then save up and buy the field. And he found that some people were struggling to understand forgiveness, so he told this story about a guy that owed a fortune and a guy that owed a little bit. And what happens when they're both forgiven and, and how they treat other people after they're forgiven. See, Jesus told a lot of stories when you walked and talked. He, in, in Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha are preparing, Martha's preparing a meal for Jesus. Mary's seated at his feet listening to him tell stories. And Jesus says, it's the one thing you're supposed to be doing right now is paying attention to the story time. Just listen to his stories. Well, his stories are all through. That's why your mama had you reading Matthew. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, especially read Mark. It's Jesus and people. Mark's all about Jesus and people. But it's a great way to understand Jesus walked and talked with his disciples so that they would experience life with him and so they would have a chance to live, this is important, to live like him. Their, their job was to live like Jesus. Not just listen, not just take notes. We're really good at taking notes. Man, we can take a lot of notes. And we can... We can fill up a bookcase full of books with good information and truth in it. Right? I know just where to go get a book to help you with whatever you've got going. You know what Jesus did? He just said, let's walk and talk about that. Let's live our lives out together and we'll work through this together to experience more that God has for you. You have to walk with Jesus. So here's my question. I asked a lot of guys I know from all my years of raising up kids in youth groups and college groups. How is your walk? How is your walk with Jesus? Like, do you know what his footsteps sound like? Do you know what his 
pastor sounds like when you walk with him? You know what it sounds like when he encourages you? And you know what it feels like when he puts his hand on your back and says, hey, come on, we got to get up this hill. It's a big, long hill. Let's go together. Because if you're walking with him, you know these things. You know those things. And it takes some intimacy and some time with him to learn those things. Psalm 89, verse 15, just a kind of an interesting verse from the psalm. There's tons of verses in the Bible about walking. In the Old Testament, there's different phraseology for it. Happy are the people who know how to praise you. Let them live in the light of your presence. When we live in his light, it brings, and the word happiness is in the New Century Version, but it's really the word blessed. That means highly favored by God. I'm highly favored when I live in your presence. When I'm walking with you, I'm highly favored by God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. If we walk in the light. And listen to the words. As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we walk. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 Paul tells the Thessalonian church, great little church, 30-something people, not like us. Paul tells the Thessalonian church, walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom. Walk like you're worthy of what he called you to. Walk like that. Don't walk unworthy. Walk worthy. We looked in Philippians. We studied up the book of Philippians all last year. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Uh, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel. The gospel is that he died on the cross for you. Walk worthy of that death. Pastor Dan, that's a hard get. Yes, it is. But you know how to make it easier? Every day... Read your word, learn a little more about Jesus, ask him a lot more about yourself and him, and grow into a walk that's a lifetime of walking with him. Some of you know, some of our church family know Robert E. Cochran, who's with the Lord now, and there is no question in his senior years that he had an intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's one of those guys, just to let y'all know, he's one of those guys when you hung out with him for about 10 minutes, you felt like you were with the Apostle Paul or John. You're with somebody that's actually been with Jesus personally, man. He just overwhelms you with his ability to understand the mind of Christ and explain it to you just in simplest way. He's just, he's just an old welder. Just a retired, retired welder from Scott Paper Company. Man, he could sure enough, like Jesus was right there with you, just give you a truth that blow you away. He didn't have a degree in Bible college. As a matter of fact, he called me and asked me, what's this book verse mean? What, how do you say this word? I'm going to teach Sunday school this week. Somebody. I've, got to, I've got to say this word. You don't have to have all that learning book knowledge. You have to have a relationship with Christ. And Brother Cochran would get up at 5, 4.30 every morning and read his Bible for a half hour before he made breakfast for his wife. And he would prepare his mind around the things of Christ. And he behaved in all my life of knowing him, which I'm so grateful to have known Robert E. Cochran, he behaved just like Christ. Simple story. 
we were in the office uh, praying as elders. We prayed in the morning before church as elders. And we'd all gathered up and held hands together and were holding, our, holding hands and praying. And, and uh, Saddam Hussein had just been captured. And uh, so we had all these, you know, there's all this patriotism flying around the weekend. And everybody was kind of cheering, yeah, America, we got Saddam Hussein. We got to and and uh, we've got veterans in our church, and so we're and we're just proud of American soldiers and proud of the work they did, and proud of the military, and so glad that an evil, evil man has been, you know, captured and killed, and so and is going to be executed. And so we're just all excited about that, and we're standing in a circle of prayer as elders. I'm the senior pastor here. Big deal. Big deal. That is for God, by the way. Right here, what? But we're standing in a circle, holding hands, praying. And everybody prayed, you know, Lord, thank you so much for getting this evil man off the, you know, grid and letting our soldiers be safe and getting him and protecting other countries and ourselves from him and all the evil he's done. And then he gets to Robert And we've all prayed. And Robert E. says, Lord, there's, I know he's going to be executed soon. There's someone you could send an American soldier into that jail that knows Jesus and to introduce that man to you. And let him trust Christ. And I gotta tell you, you talk about a humble and a pastor in the circle. I didn't think about Saddam Hussein's soul one time. I was just proud of our Americans. And Robert E., who spends every morning with Jesus, was thinking like Jesus. And it just humbled me. I'll never forget feeling like an idiot <laughs> at the end of that prayer. But so glad the old man could teach me. It's really about that guy's soul. His soul is important. Jesus died for him. And if the soldier would go in there and witness to him and he would trust Christ, he could end up in eternity with Christ, not hell. That mattered to Robert because Robert spent time with the guy that died. He knew Jesus personally. That's how we're supposed to interact. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have. I want you to hear this verse, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Must walk as Jesus did. So I'm going to ask you a couple of I'm going to ask you a really strong worded question here. I really want you to meditate on this, what these words sound like in your head. Do you think Jesus came to earth and he walked among men? He left heaven where there was no sadness, sorrow, sickness, no suffering, never sweated in heaven. Do you think he left heaven and came to earth and walked among us and he collected up a group of devoted followers to, to walk behind him and walk with him. He showed them miracles. He breathed the Holy Spirit on them. He suffered and died on the cross. He rose from the dead to give us, he says in John 10, to give us an abundant life. Right? Do you think he did all that so we would co collect ourselves up in a building once a week and sing to him? Do you think that's why he did it all? Can't wait for those guys to get there Sunday and sing. Man, I wish Sunday had come. Can't see him in heaven going, gosh, I wish, wish they'd get to church and sing for me. It means a lot. Do you think that's what he died for? 
I think a lot of Christians think that, and I'm speaking to my church family now. I'm going to let you guys off the hook for a minute. I'm telling you, the churches, we've messed something up. It's not about collecting ourselves here and singing songs to Him and worshiping Him. Sure, it's great. Corporate worship is awesome. And I, I've lost my mind a couple times back there. I lost my chords on my band. Lost my chords several times back there just going, man, I love the words of this song. I love it. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child. I get caught up in corporate worship, but he did not die so we would just collect ourselves up and sing to him and go home. That's not walking with him. That's not living like him. We're supposed to live like him and walk like he did, which means... You got to get out and meet some people, riffraff. You got to help some people. You got to minister grace and love to people. The key is to spend time with Jesus in the Word and then translate that into what I'm supposed to do with it. Jesus had a hands on ministry approach. You know that? He wanted you to figure out what he was doing and then he finds your disciples and says, Hey, y'all been with me a couple months here. Let's go out and try that yourself now. He said, No, no. Going to town. Come back and tell me how that goes. A couple of months. Some of us have been in church for 15, 20 years. Yet to go out. Still trying to learn. No. You can go now. You have a testimony. You have a story. You have faith. You can speak these words of blessing to other people and you can encourage them. So am I loving others like Jesus loves me? My mom's last years of her life Sweet, godly woman uh, who transformed three crazy young boys, me and my two brothers, into uh, young men that love Jesus. But my mom's last years of her life were spent in the nursing home. She had many strokes for a while, and she had big strokes, and then she had broken hips and all kinds of crazy things. And, and her life just got harder and harder to live. And when she finally passed away, the hardest day of my life, when she finally passed away, my older brother Lynn, who's with the Lord also now, uh, my older brother Lynn asked me to do the funeral. I was like, there's no way soggy, sappy me is going to be able to handle that. I cannot preach my own funeral. Can't do it. Just can't do it. Too soft-hearted. And so he said, well, if you'll write it, I'll do it. And so we did that. We did it that way. So at the funeral home, my brother's up on stage, and I'm with the family on the front couple rows looking this way. When it was time to leave and we're taking the processional down the center aisle behind the casket where my mom was not living, by the way. She was in heaven with Jesus making breakfast, I think. And uh, it made an awesome breakfast. So, but when, uh, when it's time to leave, we get up and turn and go out. And when we get, when I start down that center aisle, that little chapel, there's about six or seven women dressed in nurses' outfits to the left. And I'm like, hey, I would come down from Birmingham. I was pastor in Birmingham. I'd come down from Birmingham two or three days in the middle of the week and, uh, and spend two or three days in the, in the nursing home with my mom for five or six years while she was in the nursing home. And you get in all the laser attending her and she's, you know, interacting with them. And here they're all standing. I'm like, surely y'all can go to all the funerals. That's crazy. And you had a lot of funerals to go to if you work in a nursing home that way. And here's what they told me when we got out and I came back around and they came out and greeted them. They said, nobody's ever loved us like your mom. And it's because my mom was close to Jesus. And she's a sweet, sweet lady. She 
Pat Jones thinks. Are you changing her clothes or helping her do whatever she needs doing or giving her the medicine? She's loving them. She's just, and she told people all the time, I just love you. I love you. Her love from Christ translated to those ladies to the point that they took hours off to come to a funeral to memorialize my mom. So you can say, well, you know, I don't have all the resources. Mom didn't have her brain. She was struggling with dementia. She didn't know who I was some of those days. She didn't have all her faculties, but she could love well because we've been given all we need for life and godliness. It's all been given to you, and you can live it out to the very last breath of your days. You can love people well because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, my disciples are going to be known by their means you got to get out of your comfort zone and love people. Not inside the building, by the way. You don't want you to come in here. Well, you better love each other here. <laughs> but it's not here. It's out. It's outside these walls where we're supposed to be translating that love. So listen, learn, and live. Those are the L's. Listen to him because I'm walking beside him. I'm listening to what he's saying. He's teaching me while I'm walking, so I'm going to learn. But he doesn't just want me to know it in my head. He doesn't want, you, doesn't want you to know that you should love your neighbor. How many believe you're supposed to love your neighbor? Right here? Okay, you've all learned that you're good. No! Go do it. Do it is the whole point of Jesus. So I'm going to teach you how to live it out. So live that out. Let me give you some carryouts this morning. This is kind of a... You go to the restaurant and you get some food and you got some leftovers. Here's some things you can take home with you to help you stay focused on this this week. And I hope it will challenge you. Just write down some notes about when you first chose to follow Christ. What that was like for you. What did you think about Jesus when that happened? How did that happen? And when, when you first get saved, most people, when they first get saved, they start quickly obeying. It's usually not hard there. It's later when we start talking ourselves out of the obedience. You start trying to rationalize that Jesus will... Let me explain to you how this works, Jesus. It's kind of like when we talk about Peter, you know, Jesus goes, hey, I'm going to suffer and die. Uh, the people, the, the Pharisees are going to kill me, and I'm going to have to go to the, you know, I'm going to be killed and be buried and raised three days later. Peter goes, no, 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 let's not do it that way. That's when Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. Right? So just, what did you obey when you first get saved? How did you, how did you respond to him? And then write down one verse each day this week. Pick out a verse. That's an obedience verse. I know I should be obeying this. Pray without ceasing. Let your speech always be, Colossians 3, let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Just find some verses you know you're supposed to obey. And then put them in practice. Actually obey them. Don't just, don't just memorize them or know them. Let's obey them. And then pray that God will help you obey. And you probably have to ask somebody to help you with that. Get some accountability. I have to have accountability. I have guys in my ministry that, that can pull it underneath the skin of my heart and say, hey, you're really not okay with it. You got an attitude there for me. I'm struggling with an attitude. Okay, I just heard it, heard it in your voice. I had one of my elders call me the other night and just say, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. He goes, let me ask you a question. <laughs> And he bores a little bit into something he and I talked about, and he heard this tone in me that was not healthy. It wasn't healthy. It was, it was my sin nature wrestling with something that I was hurt by. 
he goes, let's, let's talk about that. And, and as, he, as I talked, I heard myself get animated and defensive and all kinds of stupid stuff. And he goes, you're, you're listening, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry. I'll work that out in the end, guys. But I appreciate it because his accountability brings me back to the place where I go, I need to repent of that. That's not healthy for me. Because I want to be obedient. I want to be a follower who looks at Jesus and goes, tell me what to do now. Just go do it. I'll just go do it. I'm not going to fight you and talk back to you. So he didn't come to earth and pay for our sins and die on the cross and resurrect again for us to gather up here and just sing to him. He came so we would live like 